Um, anytime, I, anytime I preach, um, I always say something about leadership because leadership um, is essential to, to, to every facet of life. Um, the church is no different. Um, and even as I said in the first service, um, good pastoral strategic leadership is at a premium today. Um, and sometimes when you have, even when you're like in a good family and you got good parents, you don't, you don't recognize that, um, you know, just around the corner somebody is struggling or somebody doesn't have the kind of parents that uh, you have. Um, I think the same goes true for church. Um, sometimes you don't realize how good your church is in, until you explore another church. And sometimes it's easy to take for granted the people God sets before you. And if you could just give me, um, give, give me the privilege of giving a round of applause to your pastor, Ken DeChant III. And he, will, he would never say this, and I honor every leader in this building, because I recognize he can't do this by himself, and he would never elevate himself like this, but, but I get the privilege of um, going to various churches and seeing various churches and what has happened here. Um, and I've, I've been tracking this over the years, because I've been in the network for a while. Um, what, what God has allowed him to do here is tremendous. It is absolutely tremendous. And so um, grateful grateful for him and the privilege to be able to speak uh, to you today. Um, outside of giving my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is my king and my Lord and being a child of the king, um, my second greatest accomplishment is marrying Nicole. And so I just want to praise God for my beautiful, lovely wife. Uh, she needs a Nobel Peace Prize to be married to me this long because <laughs> it takes some peace to be married to me, okay? It's only, been t it's only been 20 years, by the way, because when I first asked her, she said no. <laughs> and so I had to get myself together and make sure I was all the way together before uh, she said yes. And so I'm grateful for her. We're going to play the video, and then I'll come back up.
wrestling and Tommy Dale. These guys are doing a great deal of energy, Baron. Tremendous pace in the first round. Blood coming from the face of Marvin Hagler. Can't tell yet where it's coming from. We'll see. Both guys will definitely be winded in the next round. It is over the right eye, I believe, of Marvin Hagler. We'll wait till we get him. And there's a lot of blood early on here. So how many of you recognize that we did round three first and went back to round one? How many of you recognize that? It's, 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 it's not because I can't count, because I know one, two, three. The reason why I did that is I wanted to just speak to somebody in this room today who may be seeking the Lord. Maybe you have not made a commitment to Christ. I want to tell you that in round three, we win. The beauty of being a part of the church is that at the end, in round three, we get a chance to hold up our hands and shout the victory because our champion has won it for us. And so I want you to, to just remember um, as you're seeking God and as you have not made a necessarily made a commitment yet, that the beauty of being a Christian is that even though we got to go back to round one, in round three, we win. Yes, yes. How many of you are boxing, like boxing, or even remember seeing that? Yeah, it was, <clears throat> at the time, the highest, uh, the highest pursing uh, boxing match. I don't know what the numbers were, um, but at the time, it was, it was um, the highest pursing match ever in boxing history. I mean, they, they built it up. It was in 1985, I recognize. Um, that some of you were not even born in 1985. But that's when it was, and it was the greatest, one of the greatest fights ever in boxing history. Interestingly enough, if you watch the match and you don't see round one, you won't know who the champion is. You won't know who actually is the champion because the match was so intense. Hits and getting hit, and I want you to know that that's what the church is in right now. An intense boxing match, fighting against all kind of forces that are coming against us. And if you're gonna be a part of the kingdom of God, you gotta get ready to be in the fight. How many of you ready to be in the fight? If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Revelation chapter two. We do something at home, and if you would um, admonish me, I would appreciate it. We stand for the reading of the word of God. Thank you, Lord. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I have this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far, how far you have fallen and repent. 
and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You may be seated this morning. Do me a favor right now. I just feel it prophetic. Just lift your hands to the Lord right now. Just begin to lift your hands to the Lord right now. That every distraction is out of your way. That there's no hindrance in your spirit right now. There is nothing hindering you from receiving the word of God right now. Father, supernaturally sweep in this place right now. Supernaturally move mightily in this place right now. That there would be no hindrance from your word going forth, God. That there would be no supernatural hindrance, God, and no hindrance in our mind right now from receiving your word, God. That nothing else matters right now in this moment except the word of God being poured out into our spirit right now, God. We are ready to receive the word of God and the word of life because it's medicine and grace and power and strength to our soul, God. Pour it out right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sometimes you need that to get a release from God so that you can be focused on what God wants to speak to you today. Hallelujah. Um, Revelations chapter number two is letters written to the churches of Asia Minor. Um, these letters are written and designed to encourage and build and challenge and equip believers in the fight that they are fighting in that particular region. John is nearing the end of his ministry, banished to the island, uh, the Isle of Patmos was the island that he was banished to. And as he was banished to that island, he became more intense about how he uh, instructed the church and how he wanted to write to them because they were suffering uh, severe persecution under Nero. Um, and as they were suffering this kind of persecution, his letters became even more, uh, uh, more bolder because he recognized that they needed to stay in faith through the midst of persecution. And so these, the, the letters of Revelations are that, uh, the letter of Revelation, I should say, is even that much bolder because of the kind of intensity and the persecution that they were facing. The church that is at Ephesus, I like to call the power punching church. They were the type of church that was uh, rebuking the enemy. They were powerful in their declaration of truth. They were champions of truth. They were courageous. They were willing to stand in the midst of adversity and hostility to declare and command the truth. Now, I, I, I got saved in a, uh, a, a church that we, 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 during the time of the tent revivals, how many of you remember tent revivals? Yeah, the tent revivals, the charismatic renewal, like in the mid-90s when, when I got saved. And um, so I came up and I was, I, was, I was saved in a church that 
I mean, the supernatural power of God fell fresh on me. I mean, almost when I walked in the building. Um, it's crazy because I was, I was so worldly. I thought somebody put a hex on me when I walked into the church because I was looking like, why am I feeling this in my body and what is going on with me? I mean, literally, it was that powerful that God uh, uh, began to save me. I mean, I, I literally fell down and gave my life to the Lord uh, while the pastor was preaching. I mean, there was no altar call. It was so powerful. It was so supernatural. I mean, we were, we were that kind of church, um, and that's the kind of church that I got saved in, rebuking the devil, standing against the enemy, standing against wickedness, standing against sin, holiness, and righteousness. And, and, and by the way, that, that's, that's all well, and it should be even in our generation. We should be champions of truth, and we should stand for holiness, and we should stand for righteousness. Can somebody say amen in, in, in a generation that is uh, pervasively wicked in a generation that is calling church something that is never meant to be. We should be standing for the truth of the gospel. We should be the first champions of truth to suffer persecution for the name of our God. Can somebody say amen? amen. We need a persecuted church back again who is standing in truth and saying this is what's right and this is what's wrong to declare the truth even in the midst of the church. We need that today. So that has not gone away. And Jesus, uh, through John's ministry, declares to them, you have done well in this. You have done well in declaring this truth. You have done well in resisting the enemy. You have done well in standing against wickedness. You have done well in this. In almost a moment's notice, he switches gears and says, but I have this against you. Could it be that God loves you and still has something against you? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know it's self-esteem generation. I know you can't say anything that's negative in this generation. I, I know I recognize that. I understand. But could it be that God says, you do well in this, but I have this against you? Could it be? That we're doing great in one area. And God turn around and say, I got this against you. Could it be that somebody who loves you could still have something against you? Me and my wife have raised six grown children. We have two left at home who are 15 and 11. Every morning they come in the room, they give me a hug. I love my children. By the time I step out the master bedroom, there is a boy smell that I cannot stand. And I'm saying, what in the world is this? They don't, they, it's their room is junky. I'm like, y'all got dirty clothes everywhere. Oh, my God, what is this smell up in my room? I do love my kids, I promise you. But I want them to clean their room, and I want that smell to get out of my upstairs All our, girls were, all our girls were older, and it smelled nice in our house at one period of time, and all they had perfume and makeup and all of that, and, and now we smell just like raw boys up in our... <laughs> and I hug them in the morning, I do, but as soon as I finish hugging them, I say, I got something against you. Your room is terrible. But could it be? that God could hug us and correct us at the same time. And in fact, we actually need that back. We need the kind of love 
that says you do well in this, but I got this against you. This power-punching church, this Holy Ghost church, this church that was standing against persecution, this church that was standing against the wickedness of the culture, they were a starling gem in that generation. They were a pillar church. They had uh, Paul, Titus, and uh, Timothy lead them. They had good leadership who had ministered to them and had given them the power that they were functioning in and had raised them up and had challenged them and had made them distinct against the culture and this power-punching church he has something against. He says, however... Almost in a sudden turn of events, I have this against you. You're fighting the enemy well. You're standing in truth well. But you're failing to love each other better. You're failing to love each other better. You're failing to fight the fight of love. Standing strong in what they believed. Wouldn't let the enemy get a foothold in their church. Didn't let spirits run wild in their church. But they were not protecting themselves in love. Because if you're going to fight, it's not just about the punches you throw. It's about the punches you get hit with. And if you fight but don't have protection, you risk losing the battle. And what he says is stunning. He said, consider how far you have fallen. Now, how in the world can a church that was standing in truth and standing in holiness and standing in righteousness and standing against wickedness and standing against the culture and standing against immorality and standing against all of these things that were happening in the culture, how? How could they have fallen? You know, when I think of falling, I think of these egregious sins, Ken. Adultery and fornication. And he says, you have none of that. And you've fallen. How could it be that you have none of these outward sins and in fact you oppose all of this? Yet, you have fallen. And he tells them to repent soon or I'm going to take the lampstand from you. You know why? Because truth without love is carnal and religious and is not kingdom. And that's why he can speak to them bold like this because they had truth but they lacked love and because of that they had fallen. And they wouldn't have known it had he not said it because they didn't have the outward sins that said you've fallen. Because in our culture what we say is if you do this you have fallen. But Jesus said because you haven't done this you have fallen. I think what happens is that we miss the fact that biblical love is tested in pain. To express biblical love, you have to be able to experience pain. 
If any man wants to be my disciple, let him first deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. And I'm scared for this generation that cannot understand that real love is truly administered in pain. That love by itself brings pain. That you cannot love without pain. And it's easier to declare truth because in truth you don't have to necessarily experience any pain or any loss. All you have to do is say the truth and walk away. But love forces you to stay in the place that even after you have declared the truth to enter into a relationship and enter into uh, connections that cause pain. Biblical love forces us to get out of the fairy tale of what our culture calls love. Oh, Rome, oh, uh, they got, what, what do they got now? They got, they got Valentine's Day. That's, that's, that's one day of love, and they got all this kind of stuff, Valentine's Day, and, and Sweetie's Day. I didn't, even, I didn't even know about Sweetie's Day until I got married, and then I realized I need to make sure Sweetie's Day is taken care of because my wife wants something on Sweetie's Day. Say amen, sweetie. <laughs> all this stuff, all Cupid and arrows and all of that. But what the Bible says is real love is tested in pain. The Bible doesn't romanticize love at all. We do, but it doesn't. It has a romantic element to it, but it doesn't romanticize it at all. It doesn't say this is how it's always going to be. It's going to be lovely and wonderful and good. Never does. It's tested in pain. I think God is saying to the church in Ephesus as they're fighting, protect yourself. You're taking too many hits. You're swinging and you're hitting, but you're getting hit harder than you're swinging. You're not protecting yourself. You're taking too many blows. It's going to kill you. You're going to fall. I think he's shouting from the corner. You're going to fall if you don't protect yourself. And the only way you protect yourself in the kingdom is to love. In the video, the first round, you didn't get a chance to see the clip. The champion who was in the darker shorts was taking blow after blow to his head. I mean, blow after blow. And he actually got cut right over his eye, right into his nose. And they, they initially they had stopped the fight because um, he couldn't see. And so he was going to be a moving target. And they, they usually don't set people up to, uh, you know, become moving targets because they can't see. Because he would have blood in his eyes and he couldn't see. And, and that was just, that's just dangerous. And so they do that as a form of protecting the boxer. When the cut is too deep, they just stop the fight. And they almost stopped his fight in the, in the video. But love helps you see. It helps you from getting blood in your eyes and not being able to see. Because sometimes we take so many hits that we don't even recognize, that we can't see, that we're unloving. The truth is most of us can't see that we are unloving. 
Most of us think that we're just the most loving person ever. Oh, oh I love everybody. How many of you, now, now make a confession in here today. It is Sunday morning at Journey Church. Do not come in Journey Church, pastored by Ken DeChant and lie this morning. How many of you have ever said, I am a loving person? Now, let's do another one. How many of you have ever said, I'm an unloving person? Because oftentimes it's the hardest thing to see. And that's why he speaks to this church in reference to that. Lest you think I'm being naive about love. Love is not everybody coming into agreement. Love is not that we agree on everything. Love is not that I agree on the same color or I like the same suits or I like the same shoes or I like the same dress. Love doesn't demand that. That's not love. Love is not singing kumbaya unless everybody get along. The Bible doesn't say that that's love. What love is is a genuine expression of honesty and transparency. A genuine expression of honesty and transparency. That's what love is. Love says I'll expose myself for the sake of you. Love says I'll be honest for the sake of you. That's what love is. That's what the Bible declares, and that's what they were lacking in the church of Ephesus. All of them were out there, out there fighting the enemy. All of them were out there fighting culture. All of them were out there fighting wickedness. And when they came together, they didn't even love each other. They didn't even love the people they fought with. They didn't love the people they went to war with. Do you not know you can come and journey church every Sunday and sit there and be unloving and never say a word? Never say an evil word to anybody. You can do it. And it's easy to do it. And that's why the Holy Spirit is even speaking to me this morning because it's so easy to be unloving because they thought they were the best prize fighter. Oh, we stand up against wickedness. Oh, we walk in holiness. Oh, we're upright. And they were. But they were lacking the main ingredient that made everything work in the kingdom. And that was love. Let me give you four point, uh, three points about love and I'll get out of your way. Y'all all right out there? Y'all good? All right, all right, all right. Let me know. Y'all all right out there. Number one, get clarity before you rush into an opinion. People who rush into an, uh, to, uh, rush into an opinion are unloving. I'm going to say that again. People who rush into an opinion are unloving. If you do that often, you are often... <laughs> I didn't say it. You said it. I didn't say it. And it didn't come out of my mouth. It didn't come out of my mouth. <laughs> Listen, even in church, there's always a collision of truth. My truth, your truth, what I like, what you like. And even, in the, even, even we can take a biblical stance on certain truths. I like these truths. I like this truth. And which truth gets a chance to be uh, on stage today? We can all do that. 
We can all do that because we are highly opinionated even when we come into the kingdom. Okay, let's do another survey because I see how you're looking at me. How many people in here, and you be honest today, you're at Journey Church, pastor by Ken DeChant. Be honest today. How many of you are opinionated? And it's easy to rush into an opinion and be unloving without clarity. Don't let your opinion collide with somebody's truth and be unloving. It's astonishing. We hold strong opinions against people without gaining clarity. Often we don't like certain people and we don't really know them. We really don't know them. We may know that they hold this particular truth, but we don't know that person. And so based on where they stand, we don't like them. But that's unloving. When you get clarity, then you can determine how to function. This is how we can love. When we gain clarity, we can love people different from us. We can love people who act different from us. Our inability to do this will ultimately end up in unnecessary offenses because we thought something that was wrong. And it's unloving. You got it. Number two. Remember how you were loved. How many of you in here know that you came in through the love of God? You know you came into the kingdom through the love of God. How many of you know that God loved you when nobody else loved you? How many of you know that sometimes your mama didn't love you and God loved you? You came in on love. And all you have to do is reflect back on how you came into the kingdom to be a more loving person. God loved you into the kingdom in spite of everything that they said about you, in spite of every circumstance that you went through, in spite of everything that was said about you or against you, that he brought you into his kingdom through the power of divine love. It was love that brought you in. There was nothing else that brought you in. It was love that brought you in. It was love that brought you in. And when you remember that it was love that brought you in, you can be more loving because you know you came in on love. He brought you in on love. They needed to return to the love of God. They needed to turn. They needed to return to the love of God and the way God loved them. They were supposed to love each other. When other people's sins make you more grieved than your own, you got a problem. We got a problem. When we come into the sanctuary of the Lord, when we come into the house of the Lord. All of us come in broken and all of us need to lay our sins down at the altar when we come into worship. When we lift up our hands, we're not lifting up our hands in perfection. We're lifting up our hands in brokenness. We're lifting up our hands saying, Lord, you know every thought about me. You know everything about me. You know my secret thoughts. You know my thoughts while they were afar off. You know my beginning and my end. You know how flawed I am. You know how I have sinful thoughts even though I didn't have sinful actions. 
You know me. Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked thing in me, O God. Search me, O God. Not search my neighbor. Not search the person around the corner. Not even search the culture. Search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Until we have that kind of confession, independently and collectively, when we come into the house of God, we will not be the kind of church that God has called us to be. Everybody lays their sins down when they come in here. Please, 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 don't you come to Journey Church, pastor by Kenda Chan, and think that you are perfect when you walk in the door. Everybody, every single person has to come into the house of God and lay their sins at the altar. And if you don't think you have any sins, that's a problem already. Every last one of us, and that's how we love people out uh, through their sins, and that's how we break strongholds, is we remember how we were loved, and we understand that we are subject to the same kind of sins, lest they be for the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit on our life. It could be me sitting right there where you are, so I know that I got to come in to this place and lay my sins at the altar. I'm not up here because I'm perfect. I'm up here by the power of the Holy Ghost and if I continue to lay my sins he'll continue to strengthen me and bless me and allow me to be a loving believer he has called us to remember how we were loved other people's sins shouldn't grieve us more than our own it's so easy to just jump on Facebook and see all the wickedness and the sin that's out there and say, oh, look at them folks. Oh, look at these folks. Oh, look at them out there. Oh, look at that. But real, the real truth is, it's my sin. It's mine that I got to work on so that I can help love people out of theirs. And if we, if we, and I say we as the body of Christ, if we don't get this, we'll be a truth-telling church with no power. We'll be a truth-telling church that stands in the culture, and we should, because he, 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 he admonished them to do it, and he encouraged them to do it. But we'll have no power. We'll punch with no power and be getting, and be getting hit harder than we're punching with no love. It's called conviction. Conviction. It's when God points out areas in your life that he wants to address. And God gives conviction while the enemy gives condemnation. And conviction is, I love you, but. Condemnation is, you'll never be nothing. And God says, I love you, but draw near to me, and I'll restore you. It's conviction, and they didn't have any conviction of their own sin, and they didn't return to the love of God. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, beloved, if we love the people in the house of God first, a revival would break out. We're trying to get revival with all kind of church growth programs and outreach programs and uh, uh, hot dogs and picnics and all of that. And that's wonderful. All of that's good. But maybe love would create a revival. 
Maybe if we love one another, sinners would come in and recognize that I'm loved in this place and a revival would absolutely break out. If we really want to see a revival in the church, we can love each other so strong that the Holy Spirit will begin to just draw people to us because we are a magnet of love. I think it's a tragedy when we, we, we evangelize the, the, the sinner and try to bring the sinner in off the street and try to witness to the sinner. And then when they become a saint, we don't love them. If we loved each other the way we were supposed to, then maybe a revival would happen. And maybe we would see growth and explosion like we've never seen it. Number three, let's hear your heart before we hear your words. Before you express dislikes, complaints, gripes, opinions, personal truth, let's hear your heart. Let's hear who you are. Let's hear something about you, not about what you don't like. Let's hear your heart before we hear your words. Because Ephesus had a lot of words with no heart. And they were a prize fighter that was getting ready to get knocked out. They didn't even know they were about to get dropped. One more hit and it was over for them. And they were, they were exploding. The church in Ephesus was exploding. You could only imagine being pastored by, at some point, Titus and Timothy and Paul. Come on, you know that they were exploding. But they were about to fall flat on their face for the lack of love. And he said, repent quickly and remember how far you have fallen. Rise to your feet this morning, Journey Church. Do me a favor and turn, if you could just turn and face the person behind you or, or connect with somebody behind you. I know that's weird for some of you. That was weird for some of you. <laughs> if, you feel, if you feel comfortable, grab their hand. So, so in my defense journey, in my defense, um, typically you're, you're sitting next to somebody that you like. <laughs> so I was trying to get you to turn back. It's in case you didn't like the person behind you. That's, that's what that was. <laughs> oh. We need the love of God. Nothing works. No programs, no building no initiatives, no giving, no preaching works without the love of God. We need your love, God. I thank you for Journey Church and everybody that is represented here. God, 
Start pushing our opinions down more and causing your love to rise up first. I pray against every collision of truth that's even at journey. Truths that Ken hears in his ears that collide of what we should be doing and what's not being done and what should be on the stage and what should be preached and what should be done. I'm praying, God, that you begin to give even Journey Church that heart of love again. And maybe everybody didn't, does, didn't miss it, but maybe it's a few that feel resentment and bitterness. Maybe even somebody who's thinking about leaving, bring them back to the love of God. Secrets in our hearts, God, that we won't confess, but that you are pointing out even now. I'm telling you right now by the Holy Ghost, God is pointing out some stuff in your life right now. You haven't done a thing but God is touching somewhere in your life right now. It's not necessarily the outward sins that get us. It's the inward sins that we won't confess that destroy our lives. And there'd be thousands of people even at journey and it wouldn't matter if it was no love. We need the love of God. Not just at journey elevation. We need the love of God in our network. We need the love of God. Connect our hearts. May this time, this touch right now, this touch right now is a connecting of hearts. There's something supernatural happening outside of our words. There is a connecting and the mending of hearts. Somebody's heart needs to be mended that's offended right now. I'm telling you, I sense it in my spirit. You're secretly offended. But love demands open communication. Open yourself up and be transparent and vulnerable. And watch what God begins to do, even in the midst of journey. There's somebody in here that would love you if you would just open your mouth. There's somebody in here who would love you and embrace you and support you if you would just be courageous enough and be loving enough to let them know how you're feeling. Right now, God, the touch on the heart, the connecting in the heart, a bond that is beyond words, a connection that is beyond re relational norms, beyond likes and dislikes, a connection in the spirit, a connection in the spirit, a connection in the spirit, a connection in the spirit. That's what journey is going to need for this community. A connection in the spirit one to another. Being able to sense even what's happening with each other before words are even expressed. That's love. God, give it to him supernaturally. Give it to us supernaturally. Move mightily in your midst. And we thank you for what you have just done in our midst today, in Christ's name, amen. God bless you today, Journey. Thank you.